Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. We're going to go to Acts chapter 4. And um, we're going to see the very first moment in the early church where persecution emerges. It's the very first time that there is um, persecution on the early church. We know Jesus was crucified. He resurrected. He taught his disciples. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit. The early church begins and preaching starts to happen and revival, if we can call it that, is taking place. And so now for the first time, we're seeing the early church experience persecution and pushback from religious leaders. So we're gonna start with verse one, Acts chapter four, and we're gonna read all the way to verse 12. You guys good with that? Let's do it. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. Let's say those two words again. Greatly annoyed. Now in the Greek, that word means disturbed. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and the elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas and the high priest and Cephas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. This is the religious elites. Verse seven, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired by what power or by what name do you do this? And then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. And you gotta notice that. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, this, this, this same dude, he was trembling at the accusation of a little girl not too many days prior. But now filled with the Holy Spirit, he has somebody working in him and through him. And now he's willing to testify to the exact same people that crucified Jesus some weeks ago. So he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. That's important. Thank you, Jesus. For there is salvation in no one else. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not New Age. Are we, we going in too hard too fast? Not mushrooms, not ayahuasca. What else do I need to hit on? What? Not crystals, we're gonna hit on them too. All right, that's fine. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> All right, let's get back to the Bible. Verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The title of the message today, church, is Come What May, We'll Be Preaching Jesus. Come what may, we'll be preaching Jesus. Let's pray before we're seated. Lord, we come before you today with severity. And we, we treat the word of God with the respect that it's due. And we say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us the Holy Spirit without measure that allows us to endure persecution in all ways, shape, and form. We thank you, God, for giving us the privilege of worshiping in freedom. In, in, a, in a free place. We don't have to fear for our safety this morning being here and we're grateful for that, God. We know our brothers and sisters around the world don't, they're not afforded that same opportunity in every nation, but God, we give you praise and we thank you for it, God. We ask that you would help us today as we come before your word. We ask that you'd minister to us in the name of Jesus and that you'd open our heart wide to have more compassion for the persecuted church. I ask you that in Jesus' name, that you'd give us a greater compassion for the persecuted church and that we would be willing to risk for you unlike ever before in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Come what may, we'll be preaching Jesus. So one of the things that I did over the last two weeks previously is I gave you guys 10 marks of a book of Acts church. So if you're visiting today or you've not been here because it's been spring break, um, just so you know, to catch you up, we have been in a sermon series called The Wine and the Wineskin where we have successfully now in three months preached through three chapters of the book of Acts. So if this sermon series is gonna finish before 2026, we're gonna have to speed up just a little bit. So we're gonna get through most of Acts chapter four today. But what I did last week is I gave you guys 10 marks of a Book of Acts church so far, part one and part two, all right? So what I did was basically recap all of Acts one, two, and three, and I looked at 10 defining marks of a Book of Acts church. And so today what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna add an 11th mark, all right? We we got more marks to add, and we may group some at some point. But here, here are the 11 marks of a Book of Acts church so far. Uh, absolute obedience to Jesus. How many of you guys know that Jesus is the head of the church? He's in charge. This is not our house. This is his house. Amen. Uh, Mark number two is Holy Spirit baptism. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that the Holy Spirit hasn't just visited us, but it has inhabited us. Amen. He is in us. Number three is local under global evangelism and missions. Number four is God-ordained leadership. Number five is corporate encounter. Number six is Jesus-centered preaching. How many of you guys know like the early church did not stand up and give TED Talks? Right, they got up and they preached Jesus with holy boldness, amen. And number seven, many salvations and baptisms came as a result. Number eight, there was devotion to church fellowship. Number nine, there was radical generosity. Number 10, there was supernatural healing and miracles. And number 11, there was persecution. Now, so far, when you look at the 10 that we hit on the last two weeks, you can look at those 10 and say, yes, we want those. This is the first mark that we're gonna talk about. They're gonna be like, no, we don't want that. Which is understandable, right? Because none of us want to be persecuted. But the reality is, if we do the 10, we're most likely going to get the 11th. 
if we do what the book of Acts did, we're going to see some of what the book of Acts saw. And that means we're going to get to see supernatural healing and miracles. We're going to see radical devotion to church fellowship. We're going to be, we're going to see many salvations and baptisms. And I give God praise. We didn't do it in this service because this tends to be our more full service, but we're baptizing 22 people today. 22 people today. Isn't that awesome? Baptizing 22 people. So we baptized some of the nine and then we're going to do, uh, so again here in a little bit in the noon, but if we do these other things, we're going to experience a certain measure of persecution. And that's what I want to talk about today. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but Getting involved with God is not safe. Yeah. I kind of let that settle. I know that might seem counterintuitive to some, for some of us, um, considering the fact that we live in a culture where we've made Christianity mostly about our comfort and about our success and about you know um, self-development or uh, personal help. And that's why I kind of tease and say they didn't give a TED talk, they give a Jesus-based sermon, right? But we live in a culture where we have an ideology that Christianity is for me. That's why we love to say, Jesus, my personal Lord and Savior, and he is. But you'll never see the book of Acts church using that as a description for Jesus as a personal Lord and Savior. Yes, he is our Lord and Savior, but it's, we're so radically individualized in our culture, we've taken our faith and we've applied it to ourselves as if we're the only one that could benefit from it. Or we look at it like, okay, Jesus is here just to help me have a better life. I told you, you gotta pray for me today. This is a, this is a, this is a tough one today. How many of you guys know that um, Jesus is not just a part of your life, you are a part of his? Like you didn't get saved because you gave your life to God. You got saved because he gave his life to you. We've got to go from this idea of faith. It's like, well, Jesus fits like this 10% of my life and realize that Jesus is not just in a sliver of your life. Like you are in Christ. So more so than, you know, him just having a little part of your life, you have all of his life. You're in Christ. This whole life that you live now as a new creation is unto the glory of Jesus. He's not just there to help you smile more. I told you I needed some prayer today. Um, to get involved with God is not safe. I understand that like since the shack, like we all kind of believe that um, I'm not trying to go anywhere. Y'all don't pull me down any kind of direction that's gonna get me um, tweeted. Um, but I realized like since the shack, we kind of believe that getting saved is like gracefully falling into a Thomas Kincaid painting. And that's not exactly what being a Christian is. Like on certain days, I can acknowledge that it does feel like, you know, spending time with the father, you know, in a cozy cottage, you know, in the middle of a forest. But then on certain days, like being saved looks like being thrown into a lion's den. If you look at it biblically, um, some days looks like being thrown into a fiery furnace. Some days looks like build an ark. You don't know what that is? We'll build it because I'm going to flood the earth. You don't know what rain is? We'll get ready for it. Have faith. 
Some days looks like, hey, Father Abraham, I want you to walk away from everything that you know and follow me to a place that you don't know and don't worry about a map. I'm gonna be your GPS, your God positioning system. You know what I mean? Like every now and then, like following Jesus will have you caught up in some crazy stuff. You know what I mean? If you look at the apostles, every single one of the writers of the New Testament that we confess to believe, they all suffered greatly for their faith. And praise God, we live in a nation where we don't suffer persecution so consistently like they did in Rome or Jerusalem at the time of the writing of the New Testament. But I think it's really important for us to be made aware again and again and again that getting involved with God is actually inviting risk into your life. Because on certain days, being filled with the Spirit and being led by the Holy Ghost is going to put you in front of a Pharaoh where you say, let my people go. And I don't know if you know this or not, but Pharaohs don't like to be told what to do. That's the reality of it. Sometimes getting involved with God is actually quite risky. To get saved is to actually invite great risk into your life. Uh, I'm reading a lot of C.S. Lewis right now because I'm reading uh, the Chronicles of Narnia to my children. And I'm reminded of a phrase that, you know, was said about Aslan the lion, right? Is he safe? No, but he's good. And that's one of the things we have to remember about God is that he's not always gonna be, you know, safe for us physically to be involved in, but he will be good and he promises never to leave us nor forsake us. And so he's always going to be with us despite any persecution that we may encounter. And I'm not giving you guys a doomsday prophecy today. So please don't think that that's not my goal today. I'm not going to be one of those TikTok prophets. That's like, you know, pulling up the Super Bowl and like, look at all the demons and I've been going down a rabbit hole on those on Instagram and they're quite entertaining. I don't know if they're true, but they are entertaining. You know what I'm saying? And like, I've been looking at those things and I'm like, that's not what I'm trying to do today. But what I am trying to do is help us with a certain measure of sobriety that even in the case that we do experience pushback for the Jesus that we confess to believe in, come what may, we're gonna continue to preach Jesus. Now, I just, I wanted to read something to you guys, and it wasn't in my sermon in the, in the 9 a.m., and I probably don't even really have time to do it, but I just thought it might be important. Are you guys down to hear a story, at least the recorded history of the journey of the apostles? So the New Testament tells us the fate of only two of the apostles, one of which is Judas, if you can call him such, who betrayed Jesus, and then he went out and hung himself, and then James, the son of Zebedee, who was executed by Herod at about 44 AD, and that's in Acts chapter 12, which we're studying. But let me give you some of the kind of thought of history of the rest of the apostles. You have Peter. Peter was martyred in Rome about AD 66 during the persecution under Emperor Nero. And Peter was crucified at his request upside down because he did not feel worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. Like that's the Peter that we're talking about here in the first portion of the book of Acts. If you look at Andrew, Andrew went to what was called at the time the land of the man eaters. It's now the ex-Soviet Union and Christians there claim him as the first to bring the gospel to their land. He also preached in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, as well as in Greece where he is said to also have been crucified. Thomas was probably most active in the area east of Syria and he preached as far as India where the ancient Marthoma Christians revere him as their founder. He died there when he was pierced through with spears of four soldiers. 
Philip possibly had a powerful ministry in Africa as well as in Asia Minor where he converted the wife of a Roman proconsul and in retaliation, the proconsul had Philip arrested and then put to death. If you look at Matthew, the tax collector, the writer of the gospel book, he ministered in Persia and Asia and Ethiopia and Africa. And some of the oldest reports say that he was not martyred, but others say that he was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. If you look at Bartholomew, he, he had widespread missionary travels to India and, and he went with Thomas uh, to Armenia. He also went to Ethiopia, Southern uh, Arabia. And there are various accounts of how he met his death as a martyr for the gospel as well. James, the son of Alphaeus, is one of at least three Jameses referred to in the New Testament. And there's some confusion as to which is which, but this James is reckoned to have ministered in Syria and the Jewish historian Josephus reported that he was stoned and then clubbed to death afterwards. Simon the Zealot ministered in Persia and he was killed after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. Matthias was the apostle that was chosen to replace Judas and he went to Syria with Andrew and he was put to death by burning. John is the only one of the company generally thought to have died a natural death from old age. He was the leader of the church in Ephesus, which is now West Turkey, and he is said to have taken care of Mary, the mother of Jesus, in his own home. But during the persecution in the middle early 90s, he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos in modern-day Greece, and there he wrote the book of the New Testament, the Revelation. But also we understand that he, before he was exiled, he was also uh, cast into a boiling pot of oil in Rome. So I think it's safe to say that all of the writers of the New Testament, those whose writings that we read and that we adore and that we seek to apply to our lives, they all suffered for their faith in such a way that we all as Christians need to be prepared to suffer for ours. But it doesn't make sense, you know, today in 2023 to even talk like this. But the reality is if you take all of the risk out of Christianity, then you make Christianity biblically incomprehensible. There's no possible way to examine a biblical Christianity and do so without the possibilities of persecution. And even though we're not experiencing that in this very moment, the reason I bring this up today, not only to simply study it as a mark of the Book of Acts Church in our sermon series, is to ask you the question, what if you have to suffer for being a Christian? Are you gonna be silent? Are you gonna turn around? Are you gonna deny your faith? I mean, that's not an immediate possibility, but I think it's a worthwhile thought experience experiment to say, no matter what comes my way, I belong to Jesus, I am going to preach Jesus, and it does not matter what happens in my culture, I'm standing with Jesus. It doesn't matter what happens, you know, even, even if my own safety is under threat, I am not going to discontinue confessing the name of Jesus. He has purchased me by his blood, I am a Christian, I belong to him, and forever I will be confessing that Jesus is Lord. But do you know, Jesus is Lord is actually quite a dangerous thing to say. You ever think about that? Jesus is Lord is, is actually kind of a dangerous thing to say because if you look at Acts chapter three where we finished off last week, you've got the apostle Peter and he's preaching in the temple and he's talking about Jesus. As a result of his sermon, what takes place? Acts four tells us, we read it today. Many of those heard the word and believed and the number of men that were saved came to about 5,000. That's just the men. That means there are other family, uh, family members that are a part of their family units that were also saved. And so what is happening here is that there is a new movement in Jerusalem and that movement is a Jesus revival, if you want to call it that. 
And so what's happening is that the gospel is spreading very quickly and the same Jesus that they murdered is now being preached publicly as being risen from the dead and alive and actively saving people and he has released the Holy Spirit to those who believe in him and now they are filled with that spirit and they are walking the earth with the same power under the same authority as Jesus was prior. And so whenever the Bible says that these leaders are greatly annoyed, you can understand why. Of course they're disturbed. There's this movement taking place. We see Mark number number seven of the book of Acts church, which is there's many salvations and there's baptisms. The early church at this point now has gone viral, but not everybody is celebrating the success and popularity. In fact, there are some who are pushing back rather aggressively and they are the religious Um, elites, uh, you can call them religious spirits. They are the political elites, or you can call the political spirit. They are the people who are very interested in self-protecting their positions of privilege, and they don't like to hear about the gospel or the authority found in the name of Jesus because the gospel is a divine challenge to the world as it is. We can't forget that. The gospel is a divine challenge to the world as it is. It confronts sin. It confronts injustice. It confronts oppression. It confronts uh, the evil in humanity and requires repentance and transformation and change and abandoning the ways of the world and accepting the ways of God. And for people who are bent on protecting their personal choices and their personal power and their personal privileges, be it religious, political, economic, or social, it's normal that they're going to push back against that message because they understand that that message requires them to change. And we have to remember that it's like Jesus wasn't crucified for being a sweet man. You know, this polite preacher that shows up, let me say it again, with a little TED talk, you know, he's got a little PowerPoint presentation about how if you will accept his set of teachings, your life will be slightly better. No, the first thing that Jesus says when he shows up on the scene preaching and teaching is this, repent. So he's literally commanding people to change the way that they think and change the way that they live so they can accept the coming of God's kingdom which comes in his name. But see, the re, the re, we've forgotten this and that's one of the reasons why we have so much trouble associating persecution with the contemporary church in America because we don't read these passages in the way that they really happen. You know, it's interesting to me that like, you know, we have crucifixes, which today are jewelry or tattoos, right? Like we wear crucifix around our neck and it's like, man, this is like a, you know, it's a dope piece of jewelry. But you know, in, in 2023, we wear a crucifix. The equivalent to that in the first century book of Acts church would have been wearing a necklace with an electric chair on it. Like that's, that's what was happening because that was a symbol of capital punishment. So, you know, back in, you got one? It's all good. It's, it's good. You should have one. You should have one. That's the, that's the best symbol ever. Get one. I'm not, I'm not shutting them down. But what I'm saying is that, you know, for the first hundred years of Christianity, nobody needed to do a Greek word study about what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross and follow me. 
See, today we're like, did he really mean that we're going to have to suffer for confessing his name? Back then they understood, look, if I say yes to Jesus, I am risking my life. I'm putting my neck on the line. I may be crucified in the same way that he was sentenced and crucified. And at the very least, I'm going to go through hard times. I'm going to suffer persecution. People may come from my reputation. People may poke fun at me. People may reject me. People may fire me from my job for being a Christian. And those are things at the bare minimum. And, and maybe we won't have to experience this for a time. And I don't want to prophesy that we are, but what if we do? I, listen, I know it's, that's why I asked for prayer. But what if we did? Are we going to turn around? Are we going to shut down? Are we going to call it quits? Are we going to throw in the towel? Are we going to say, you know what? I guess Christianity is just not for me. It's not culturally appropriate or acceptable any longer. So I guess I'm going to walk away from it. Or are we going to stand up like the apostles and say, come what may, I'm going to preach Jesus. Come what may, I'm going to preach Jesus. I'm not going to stop preaching Jesus. I'm not going to turn around. One of the things you have to understand is that persecution doesn't happen because of intelligible theological disagreement. That's not really why persecution takes place. We've got to know that there is a difference in persecution and disagreement. Just because you post something about Jesus on your social media and somebody wants to debate with you your idea of what you posted does not mean that you're being persecuted. They're just disagreeing with your idea. You don't have to block them and, you know, and say that they're like abusive towards you. Maybe they're just trying to engage you in an understanding of what's actually true. I mean, that's just a thought. I've always, listen, I've always kind of made fun of people who've like, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've just been like, man, they are soft as melted ice cream. Like they just cannot handle anybody pushing back against their idea. It's not that people are being mean to you. They're just calling into question your idea. And we need a good apologetic. That's one of the reasons why I teach my kids like theology. It's like, hey, it's important for us to understand that this is what we believe, but we also know how to respond to people who have questions about what we believe. And that's fine. You with me? But if you really look at what it looks like to have or experience persecution in the New Testament, that could include verbal abuse. That could include verbal abuse. I'm tempted to ask her not to play just because I, I know you guys are going to shut down on me. You guys okay? I only got like four minutes left, all right? That's all the time I got, all right? If you want a longer sermon, just come to the noon. You good? When that clock goes to zero, you play. And then I'll, and then I'll quit. We're almost there. Just bear with me. Just bear with me. This is important that we understand that persecution may happen. And just, you know, when we testify, we may be persecuted. If you look at New Testament examples of persecution, you're going to see this. Verbal abuse, beatings, murder plots, stoning, social ostracism, economic hardship, unjust arrest and imprisonments, exile and execution. And a lot of these examples actually happen in the book of Acts. So are you being persecuted whenever you post something on social media about Jesus and somebody leaves you a nasty comment? Maybe not, but you could be. You could be, you know, I, I remember like in 2020 posting about church and, and that was like, man, that was crazy. Like you would almost get shot for just saying you should go to church. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that? Like that was not that long ago. It's like, we just pretend like it never happened. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We just got over that. 
Listen, I had friends that were threatened with arrest in other countries simply for gathering a small group in their home to share the Bible. So when we talk about persecution as though it's like so distant and could never happen, I think we should wake up and get a reality check about the fact that principalities and powers and political and religious spirits may be interested in, in protecting their positions of personal control more than allowing us to share Jesus whenever we do so with so much authenticity that we say, look, the power of Jesus and the gospel is this, Jesus is Lord. And that means every other knee has to bow and every other tongue has, has to confess that that is the case. And so if I have to choose between listening to the religious powers or preaching Jesus, just like Peter said in Acts chapter four, that's for you guys to judge. As for me and my house, we're going to keep preaching Jesus. Come what may. We're going to keep preaching Jesus. So I don't want this message to necessarily be prophetic. At this point, I just want it to be a study, but I also want you to take it and put it in your back pocket, and I want you to take it to your prayer chair, your secret place this week, and I want you to sit with the Lord, and I want you to do some soul searching and let the reality of what it costs so many Christians who are alive today touch your heart, begin to pray for the persecuted church, and take inventory about your own boldness and your own conviction and say, I don't care what happens. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You know, I looked up some statistics this week on the persecuted church. You know, there's over 70 million Christians that have been martyred since, since Acts chapter four. Uh, between 2000 and 2010, there was approximately 1.1 Christians that were martyred. Uh, Open Doors USA, it's an organization that works amongst the persecuted church. Uh, they figure that there's about 360 million Christians as of 2021 that live in countries where persecution is quote unquote significant. About five and a half, half thousand Christians were murdered in 21, more than 6,000 detained or in prison and another 4K were kidnapped. These are crazy statistics to consider. But right now in 2023, same organization Open Doors says there's about 322 martyrs Christian martyrs per month in the world, right? We, we, don't, we don't think about this very often, but it's important that we're confronted with it so that we can pray and take inventory. You with me? Got it. It's important. And so I, I, I thought what time, like the Sunday before Palm Sunday to talk about persecution, because it's, it's actually mind-blowing to me that we would divorce suffering from Christianity when the whole point of Christianity is Jesus who suffered. Like, who followed God any closer than Jesus? Nobody. And where did that lead him? To Gethsemane, right? Where he suffered. To the cross, where... He was crucified for us. You know, it's interesting to me that Gethsemane is, is actually, if you translate, it's called the oil press. And a lot of us have been praying for an increase of anointing. And the Lord's like, well, I'm gonna take you into a place of suffering. And you're like, hold on, wait just a minute. I didn't ask for suffering, I asked for anointing. But you don't realize the place where you suffer is actually the place where you get anointed. I know some of you guys have been going through a hard time, but just reconcile your journey with the Lord Jesus and know he's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And you may go through some hard times, but you won't go through them alone. What did Jesus say on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is that because God had forsaken him or is it because he was feeling what it feels like to be lonely and without the covering of God? 
He knows what you're going through. He knows what it's like to feel abandoned by God. But the reality is he'll never abandon you. He'll never leave you. He'll always be with you. And it doesn't matter what you have to go through. You go through it with a certain measure of holy dignity, knowing that I get the privilege of walking into suffering and experiencing just a little bit of what Jesus experienced on my behalf, which I do so with honor, knowing that he is worthy of my sacrifice. Even if it's a little sacrifice, I rejoice. Yeah. And this, I want to give you these points just real quick so you can take something home with you. You can take a picture if you want. But if you're going through persecution or you experience persecution at any point in the future, number one, I want you to start by choosing forgiveness. I know that that's going to be hard. I know that's going to feel impossible, but I want you to choose forgiveness because you don't leave your lifestyle of holiness when you're persecuted. You actually press into holiness and you choose to be a forgiver like Jesus. Right? Jesus talks about this quite a bit. Look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter, chapter five. He said, I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Number two, when you're persecuted, I want you to make another choice. I want you to choose to rejoice. And I know that sounds ridiculous. It's so counterintuitive, but is that not the way of the kingdom? Right? In the book of Acts, whenever they were released from jail, they were leaving prison, celebrating. You, 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 is it Act, Act, Act 16, Paul and Silas in prison, right? They're in prison, in chains, and they are singing worship songs, right? Because they're like, I have been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And I don't get this privilege forever. It's only in this life that I get to suffer for him. When I get to heaven, ain't gonna be no tears there. Ain't gonna be no threat of danger there. It's gonna be perfect. It's gonna be serene. It's gonna be peaceful. It's gonna be hope and love and all the, you know, all the, but in this life, I get the privilege of laying down my life for him. So I want you to choose to rejoice. I want you to choose to celebrate. Thirdly, I want you to choose grace. I want you to choose not to depend upon your own strength. Like I'm, I'm strong and I can deal with this and I don't need therapy and I'm, I'm fine. And people can say mean stuff about me, but I don't care. I tried that in 2020 for a little bit and I realized that wasn't helping. <laughs> Truly, man, I mean, the, the stuff that people said about me, I lost so many friends, no lie. I mean, people who, people who I stayed at their house, they came for me and such, just because I suggested people should go to church. And I'll tell you what I said, and if you wanna be mad at me, you can be mad at me. But I said, if you're willing to go everywhere else but church, I'm just going to lovingly call into question your devotion to fellowship and to, and, and to Jesus. I mean, I did it in the most, like, I thought a very kind way. But my God, man, you thought I shot somebody. It was a very interesting experience. And I, I thought, man, I'm, I'll be fine. But man, that mess hurt. I ain't gonna lie to you. And for a long time, I'm like, that's not persecution. Just, just get over it. But what I realized is like, nah, persecution can be verbal abuse. And some of you guys have experienced that and you've dismissed it and you've said, ah, it's not really that big of a deal. But listen, here's why I'm bringing that up. It's not because I'm saying, ah, it's okay. Be weak, be soft, whatever. I'm saying, look, there's more opportunities than you know to rejoice in the fact that people are saying stuff about you for, for talking about Jesus. Does that make sense? All right, I don't know if I'm helping or not, but we're talking about persecution today. The last thing is, I just want you to, I want you to choose to stay prayerful. You know what I notice about storms? 
One of the first things we do whenever we go through something is we stop praying as a means to punish God for putting us through it. You put me in this hardship, I ain't talking to you. Oh, yeah. See, I just got in your business right there. Some of y'all went through that this week. You're like, you don't love me anymore, so I ain't talking to you. <laughs> Let me encourage you, don't stop praying. Lean in. That's where the strength comes from. That's where the power comes from is in that place of prayer. And you know what? Don't have a pity party. You know the only people that RSVP to pity parties are demons. Demons love complaining. But the last I checked, the Bible says that you are the head and not the tail. And it doesn't matter what you go through. You can stand victorious and say, I have a share in what Christ has purchased. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And I know I am victorious in him. I am more than a conqueror. I'm an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony. I'm not going to sit around here looking at what I lack or what I don't have. I'm going to count my blessings in Christ because he is who I have. And because I am his son, I have been blessed with an abundance of great things. And even though it might not look, it, look like it in this life, I know in the life to come, I'll have everything that he's promised me. So in the end, I'm victorious. So we don't stop praying. We keep praying because the perspective that you need is in the presence that you already have. So don't deprive yourself from prayer because you're going through a hard time. The perspective that you need is in the presence that you have. It's not outside of that. All right, let's stand. We're gonna pray. Like I said today, it was an interesting word and I recognize that, but you know what I believe, church? That it was an important word. I believe it was an important word. I think it's important for us to remember that persecution is a real thing. And so here's what I wanna do for the last minute. I've, I've already gone over, but we're gonna pray for the persecuted church. Can we do that? I know that might seem a little interesting for Sunday morning, but could we do that? All right, so if you don't mind, just begin to pray. Um, there's a, I, I should have made a list of the countries, but the, I do know the number one, the most dangerous place in the world for Christians is North Korea. And so that's the country I'm going to pray for. Maybe you got some missionary friends in other places, uh, you, China, you, the Middle East, India. India needs the gospel. And like any other nation, I think, in the earth right now, there's more unsaved people in India. And all of my friends, I used to, if you don't know this, I used to live in India for three and a half years as a missionary. All of my missionary friends who lived in India have been blacklisted by the government and kicked out. India needs... They need the gospel right now. So Lord, I pray in Jesus' name over all the Christians in North Korea and I ask God by your blood that you would keep them safe so that they might witness and testify to those that have yet to hear about your name and your saving grace. And God, I pray that you would encounter the, the Christian church in North Korea today in a special way. Lord, we just bolster them. We get behind them. We cover them. We plead the blood of Jesus over them. All of our friends in the Middle East, all of our missionary friends in persecuted nations, the 1040 window, God, we cover them. We ask that you'd fill them with holy boldness, that you would anoint them with power from the Holy Spirit, that signs, miracles, and wonders would follow their teaching of the kingdom, God. We pray for places where Bibles are illegal, that there would be success in all of the Bible smuggling uh, that happens as uh, I've got some friends that send Bibles over the North Korean border by a hot air balloon or something. They, they, they fill up balloons and they send them over and they have little scriptures there. And so Lord, I just pray that those scriptures would find the right people and that you would encounter people and that you would touch them today. In Jesus' name we pray. And, we, and, and would you also commit yourself, Lord? Put the persecuted church on my heart. Don't let me, don't let me just pray selfishly. There's a lot of people in this, in this world that, that they pay a lot more for what 
their faith than I do mine right now. And so I, I don't want to forget them. So move us to compassion for that, God. In Jesus' name, make us a biblical church, God, a, a biblical church that come what may, will continue to preach Jesus. Amen, church? Amen. Can we just thank the Lord together? We can bless him. Say thank you, Jesus. Amen and amen. 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 Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.